This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. This is Jesse Childs, professionally known as Nap Nat, the Nappy Natural, or the Afro-American Project. I'm currently in Oakland, California, but grew up Colorado, New Mexico, in the Southwest, and then Chicago for about 10 years. Come on, come on. Give me the fortune, keep the fame, said my man Lewis. I agreed, know what he mean, because we live the truest lie. I asked him why we follow the law of the bluest eye. He looked at me, he thought about it, was like I'm clueless. Why? The question was rhetorical, the answer is horrible. Our morals are out of place, it got our lives full of sorrow. And so tomorrow coming later than usual, waiting on someone to pity us. While we find the beauty in the hideous, they say money's the root of all evil, but I can't tell, you know what I mean? Pace so, first and most deaf. I had the cassette tape when Black Star came out. My mom actually purchased a music store in a small town where I lived in New Mexico. And they gave me a little corner to do all the hip hop and the rap. I remember having that cassette. That was one of the, the last cassettes I bought. That was kind of around the time I was becoming politically aware. I grew up in a small town in New Mexico for the, the majority of my teen years. It was very isolated, definitely kind of stood out being a person of color, an African-American. So hip-hop was kind of like a window to what was going on in the city or in the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And I remember that song like really resonating with, even though I wasn't smack dab in the middle of the black community like certain things I, I related to or I could start to realize what's going on not strong, only aggressive we only licensed, not compassionate only polite, now who the nice not good but we'll behave Chasing after death so we could call ourselves brave Still living like mental slaves Hiding like thieves in the night from life Illusions of oasis making you look twice Hiding like thieves in the night from life Illusions of oasis making you look Yo, twice I'm sure that everybody out listening agree The chorus in there really, it exemplified to me Like we're showing a lot of like strength and bravado But it's not necessarily organized Or in a way that's helping black people So it's like they're going back and forth sort of We're not strong, only aggressive, not free We only licensed Not compassionate, only polite, not who the nicest not good, but well behaved, chasing after death so we can call ourselves brave, still living like mental slaves. Hiding like thieves in the night from life, illusions of oasis, making you look twice. It clicked for me because, like, I can remember getting mad, you know, like, someone called me out my name.
saying like use the n-word or whatever and down there it's kind of a big deal because i felt like i had to prove something i didn't have like my homies calling me that all the time right but my my reaction wasn't necessarily one out of strength it was just kind of like i had to prove myself so that aggressive thing Released in short bursts, the length of black life is treated with short worth. Get yours first, them other niggas secondary. That type of Ellen that be filling up the cemetery. This life is temporary, but the soul is eternal. Separate the real from the lie. Let me learn you're not sure. I'm only aggressive because the power ain't directed. That's why we are subjected to the will of the oppressive, not free. We only license not nowadays. Everybody got a certain level of either wage slavery or just some sort of manufactured systems oppression that's akin to what slavery was as a system, whether it's having to get birth certificates or marriage certificates or making contracts with the state, whether you want to or not. And so that whole, you're not free, you're only licensed. For me, it really helped me have a new lens to look at society through and just seeing that even though we've done all this, we've marched, we've We've rioted, we've done all these things. They're typically things that are just reactions, and we're not really getting to the underlying issues and the causes of those issues. And the whole metaphor, I guess, about thieves in the night, the criminalization is there, whether you're doing something wrong or not, and participated in that. No one is out there, but still actively doing that, wanting the image of being a thug or being hard or being scary whether you're going to an ivy league school or trying to be a chef or like something else you still got that image whether you want it or not and sometimes it's easy to get swept up in and participate in even if you know better it's really just one of the more soulful kind of jazzy songs on the album so it kind of took me back to the whole like native tongue kind of era where everybody was sort of on that tip and all the the musicians were working together and i really have tried to model the collective of musicians that i work with around that sort of golden era native town movement where it was like Tribe Called Quest and the Jungle Brothers and then Busta Rhymes and Common and Most Def and, and Talib Kweli and all those other people sort of associated Wordsworth and a lot of the people on that album, they would always be on each other's songs and the message was always carrying through from song to song. So it was really like authentic. And I feel like after the millennium arrived, even the more conscious artists had to sort of find some medium of commercialization to still be relevant or to just even get a message out. I really always backtrack to that album sort of as the tipping point of that. I felt like there was a lot more intentional effort during early, mid, late 90s to make sure that that message was creative. It was still hitting, like it was still dope to listen to, entertaining. But it was always there, whether you were fully tuned into it or not. And so this is like a kind of a time capsule for me, this song. It really represents a lot of that. Hello, it's the soul, trooping in with the jungle patrol. And this one's about the chaos, the knockouts out there who's holding my blood. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. 
We're gonna talk about Buddy on this plate. But before we let the herd out the gate, make sure all the levels are straight out the jungle. The, the jungle, jungle, the brothers, the brothers. De La Soul, from the soul. Black medallions, no gold. Hanging out with Paws, hanging out with Mace. Buddy, 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 all in my face. Both the lap. The city was small, super small town. Is a mining town, big open pit copper mine. I think fifth biggest in the world or something like that. That was the main source of employment for the county. They have high times when the mine is good. Mine's not doing so well. Like the population drops by a couple thousand people. So that was sort of like my world at that point. Maybe 50 miles any given direction to the next town. So it's like very much. Dominated by wilderness and nature and sort of like the outdoors, but growing up there, that to me became the best part. Now the only reason I really go back is if I want to go on a hike or I want to go camping or I want to visit relatives and then we go out to the familiar places. I didn't really have too much of an urban upbringing, at least there, and it's a very much type of town where people grow up and stay. I knew everybody. In my high school, there's only one high school, so I knew that at 18, if I didn't get out, I would probably be there my whole life, which wouldn't be the worst thing, but it's not what I wanted. The food is amazing if you like authentic Mexican food, and the the culture is really nice. Like it's a, a great fusion of sort of that old west cowboy rodeo type, the really traditional Mexican culture. That's like it was Mexico for a long time, and then they've retained a lot of the old customs while still letting the American thing happen. There's a lot of Native American culture. On my dad's side, I have a couple different、uh, indigenous. Native American tribes, not from that region, but just finding it out later, it let me appreciate a lot of the things I was exposed to earlier. You can go on a hike and see these cliff dwellings of people that lived there 5,000 years ago, and just be looking around and find arrowheads and pottery shards, and and I, you go somewhere where it's all skyscrapers and bridges and stuff, and it gives you a, a place you can go to when things get a little bit too hectic, even just mentally, just be like. I can remember being on that one peak and just taking deep breaths in the trees and da 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 da. It's a, a calming thing. It got me through some high stress moments, sort of just thinking back. I was about to turn 15, I think, and my、uh, stepdad surprised me with the Gemini starter kit from the back of the Source magazine. His little belt drive turntables with a cheap little mixer, and he had this stupid hat on with the microphone making like alien sounds, trying to surprise me. I was like, "You are super corny, dude!" But thank you so much. It came with some records. I remember there's a record by Estero. 
Breath From Another. They're like a trip hop group from Canada or something. And I had never heard of them, but I was like, this is dope. And so I, got, I practiced mixing, I'd enter talent shows, and I was writing poems and stuff at that time. And there was um, some other dudes in the school was like, oh yeah, we're rappers. And they didn't like me for whatever reason. And so instead of fighting, I was like, let's just, let's battle it out at a talent show. So we had a battle. And that was like the first time I took using poetry as like self-defense seriously. And I, I ate him up. I went in. <laughs> I remember we, we was rapping over Nas's like, it must have been like my junior year. He was a senior and he was obsessed with Nas. He calls himself Esco to this day. We're cool now. We, we're friends lightweight. Yeah, I went in. That was fun. Personally, because I was born in California, I always gravitated to West Coast hip-hop. Sort of like sports, if you wanted to root for a team, you had to root for a team that wasn't in your city or your state, just because, like, you don't have one. Because <laughs> the internet was, like, brand new. So I had no cable at the crib. So what I would do is I'd get VHS tapes and go stay at my friend's house on the weekends and record, like, Rap City. They had the box back then, so my friends would record off the box. VH1 Soul, just any outlet, MTV, the 106 and Park, all that stuff. I would just go and like selectively choose the videos I wanted. And my friend, Roki, he did the same thing, but he had like a bookshelf full of them. So I treated like a library. I would just go and get videos because he was putting me on a bunch of people I didn't know. E40 and he put me on to a lot of like the South rappers that I think are really dope. And then with the music store, when I saw the catalogs and how you can order music and stuff, I tried to provide a variety down there. It helped me do my research and figure out who was coming out with albums. And while I was working, I was lightweight taking notes on the different artists coming out and getting an extra copy and then paying for it out of my check. And a lot of the times people lightweight knew who they liked. So I was more helping people like get the music and they would put me on to people because, oh, I never heard of that. It was this, like South Park Mexican. What's that? I don't know what that is. And so from time to time, though, I'd make recommendations and point stuff out that, oh, you like this? You might like this. You like Noriega? We got this new big pun or whatever. Like something that I think it was more of an exchange both ways than me like being the aficionado. I was actually part of the University of Hip Hop. I was there the first year. So I, I was grateful to be mentored by Lavi Raven. All four elements I really I feel like I got initiated to a certain extent, but it was always the music that got me. So DJing progressed to producing. I got a little PC with Fruity Loops on it back in like 05, learned how to make beats. Got into more like guitar and piano to learn like how to make music. And all along been writing, writing poetry, some spoken word, and then um, doing mixtapes and collabs even some background vocals for people. But yeah, it started with the Gemini starter kit, 189 from New York out of the back of the Source magazine. I went to see 
my first big rock concert, my brother took me to see Rage Against the Machine in San Francisco at the Shoreline Amphitheater. And Wu-Tang was supposed to open up. And I was like crazy about Wu-Tang. Like more than even West Coast rap. Like when Wu came out, it was all about Wu-Tang. I had the, the clothes, you know, I was, so son? Like talking like I was from New York. They canceled though. I think that was the show where like Raekwon and a couple other of the members beat up some promoters and they got kicked off of the tour. And so the Roots filled for Wu-Tang and I had never heard of the Roots, but I got to see them perform and it's like they had Razel, they had Scratch. This was like the Roots, you know, like Leonard Hubbard was still there. I think Scott Storch might have still been there. And I was so determined after that show that I was going to be involved in hip hop in some way. I got to meet Black Thought and Razel. I was super cheesing. They probably thought I was crazy because I like couldn't talk. I was just in awe. <laughs> And that's that's when I asked for the starter kit. When I got back, I was like, I want to be a DJ. And so that must have been in like early spring. And then a couple months later, I got the turntable. So I was like, okay, it's on now. Next song I chose was 75 Bars by The Roots. I chose this song because I wanted to pick a song that was like just straight spit, no hook, dope beat, like hard drum beat. Basically all it is is a drum almost. And to me like that epitomizes MC. If you can go for 70 to 100 bars with no hook and do it live, like you're a true MC team. And from my previous story, Black Dot been my number one favorite MC since like that that day. Even though other people, what? Who's Black Dot? Oh, that dude from the Roots. Oh, he he, alright. I really was struggling to find the right Roots song, and what made me choose that one? My friend from Chicago actually, he's a rapper. His name is Add Two. He did a a freestyle over that. And I was like, damn, where is this beat from? Where is this beat from? I can't, like, I know I heard it. Who is it? Is it it sounds like the roots. So I had to backtrack and I was like, oh, that's 75 bars. And then I didn't know they had a video for it. And I found the video and I was like, dang, this is like a lightweight mini movie right here. Like, this is a short film. And so I chose it because of the visual, because of the connection to add to, and just because it shows to me, like, how amazing Black Thought is, both in writing lyrics and delivering lyrics, and how Questlove can make just a drum pattern, or it's a pretty complex drum pattern, but a drum pattern beat the whole song, and you really don't notice that there's not any other instruments. To anyone who doesn't think he belongs in the top 10, I would just wish they were there for some of the shows I've seen. Like, 
They came to the House of Blues in Chicago. It was the OK Player Tour. I swear this was a five-hour show. It started at like 7 in the evening, and we were there until almost 1 in the morning. No intermission. And everybody in their cousin was rapping. Like, they had Slum Village there. Dice Raw was there. Badu was there. Dead Prez was there. De La Soul came out of nowhere. But through the whole night, Black Thought was the head MC. Like, and I mean, like, Master of Ceremonies. He introduced the acts. Then there would be, like, a 20-minute root set. He would be doing a song with the Jazzy Fat Nasties or something. And whoever was on the OK Player label at that time. High Tech was there with Kuali. And dude did not stop. I was like, how is he not, like, speechless at this point? Five hours is just straight spitting. And rapping other people's verses. Like, Malik B wasn't there, so he's rapping Malik B's verse. He got a song. He's doing LL Cool J's verse. He's doing Cool G Rap's verse. He's doing Kane's verse. Like, everybody to not miss a syllable and i'm just like how can you mess with that like what other mc can do that and still have original material like when you break down his lines if you read them dude is is like a journalist or like a writer at the same time he doesn't lose any of the flavor or like the cockiness of what an mc kind of exudes I'm in the class on my own. If I got beef with you, you the last one to know. I'm five on time. I'm never fashionable. You late? I'm already international. Bull. I done twirled to Berlin, back to Beijing. You never seen nothing. Can't say the same thing. That's somebody black book. Yeah, you know the name ring. So give him the game ring for bringing with the niggas gang bring. My hustle is long. My muscle is strong. My man put the paper in the duffel. I'm gone. Y'all still a light year from the level of more. Just a point stepping right into the head of the storm. You been warned. I will blow y'all niggas in the cynical. I'm a rebel. I was like a child still when I moved to Chicago, but the city really helped me become an adult. Around 18, I really started realizing that, oh, there's a struggle going on. And when I got to Chicago, it was a real hot time. Like, Fred Hampton Jr. had just got out of jail, so I went to his release, and Dead Prez talked about him. Then I heard him on Quality's album, and I researched who he was. It's like, oh, I gotta meet this brother. It opened my eyes to that there's people struggling together that are black, Asian, white, upper class, middle class, lower class, hood, educated. In Chicago was the first time I really saw all those people mingling and mobilizing and organizing behind common things, whether it was protesting police or it was trying to get some kind of education scholarship for some of their community or stop the violence, put down the guns, or even just supporting local artists like Kanye was coming out when I was there and just seeing how much people were really supporting him when he was still in the city and I got to meet Ron Fest a bunch when he was there and decided to run for Alderman and stuff like that and I was like where else does stuff like this happen it was a great experience from small town to big city going from being a big fish in a small pond to a regular fish in the ocean it took a while to adjust but I'm grateful for those lessons all the time like I really consider that's the place where I came of age, and so uh, I always claim that as part of my, my upbringing. My first real exposure to any sort of large black community was Chicago. Instantly, I did feel welcome, and I felt part of it especially within the university because we made such a small percentage of the total population. Even though we're studying completely different things, we always made time to bond and just check in with each other and do events and stuff like that. 
it was an eye-opener though when I got out of the bubble was at times I could feel being not really uh, an outcast but I feel like I stood out for some people there was sort of like an equivocation like what is he I hadn't necessarily seen myself as anything other than black but I went into the black community and a lot of times be like, oh well you're Puerto Rican or you're light-skinned and to me that concept was new even though I mean I, I know I wasn't like as dark as my father or dark as some of my friends but it was just never really a thing but that's the first time it got pointed out to me and it took me a little while to get over that but I felt that it, it was completely understandable especially because it gets so cold in Chicago I'm one of those solar black people like I need the sun to stay dark so in the winter time I'm like five shades lighter than I am in the summer and so I, I totally get it especially with a lot of the segregation that goes on in Chicago you want to be clear about where somebody stands and so I wasn't tripping off of that but it, it challenged me because I didn't know how to communicate along those lines like I'm coming from a place of blackness but I can see that the person I'm trying to reach out to or interact with is coming from a place of like what are you or who are you I was thankful for the people that were from Chicago that sort of took me in because um, the code of the streets I guess sort of got spelled out to me there it's like you don't have to try to interact with everybody I guess I'm coming from a small town where you smile and you say hi to people all the time but in the city, sometimes you just got to keep it moving and not trip. And if you don't get eye contact, you don't get eye contact. That's just one of the things. You have your friends, you people that you know. And then sometimes circles maybe interact where you meet new people. I guess I was too caught up in trying to be social with everybody. And so I think that was one of the things I took away from it. It's like there's a time and a place and you don't always have to go out of your way to try to communicate. And I guess in certain ways, maybe because I was from a place where there's so few black people, I was used to overcompensating or like really projecting my blackness. Like, no, I'm not Mexican. No, I'm not Latino. No disrespect to them, but I'm just trying to like, you know, I want to exist as what I am. So when I got to the city and it wasn't as big a deal, I was still sort of in that mode. Or it's like, I gotta really represent, I really gotta, you know, put on the colors and try to get the handshake and the pound and da-da-da-da, and, and it wasn't that serious. So it helped me chill out and relax and connect with people from different races, you know? Like going to apartment parties and seeing black people mingled with all sorts of every race. And that was really refreshing. So I studied abroad in Tanzania for 10 months, which is an East African country. It was amazing. I studied anthropology in the Serengeti. I studied archaeology in the Olduvai Gorge and Gorongoro Crater and got to go to some places that are really inaccessible, even to citizens there. So I was super grateful. It was hard. I got mosquito bites and was living in a tent for six weeks and all that sort of thing, but I really got to connect with a lot of the musicians out there, too. One of my classes was the history of Tanzanian music, so I learned a lot about how they pattern their music and 
the different scales and pentatonics and the different genres of music. And I was fortunate to learn some Swahili and, and meet some of the hip-hop musicians out there. It's called Bongo Flavor. I was rapping in English and stuff, but they took me around with them. I got to open up for them, rock some shows out there. So I was still able to continue my hip-hop thing, but it was on a different continent. It opened a lot of doors for me musically, like sonically, I picked up a lot of stuff just in terms of how people sound when they speak or sing in a different language, the way they emphasize different things and the different patterns, how sometimes the music is telling you something. Even though it may not be instrumental, there's still a message in there. And had I not done it, I don't know where I'd be right now. I really don't. First job I got after college, I was working at uh, Quiznos, <laughs> the sandwich place, but it was work. A lot of people complain about the recession in 08 and stuff, but for me it started way before that, just trying to find anything to pay rent, find a place. Eventually I got a gig at a bookstore, it's over there in Harper Court, it's called Frontline, Black Bookstore, and I started working there. And I was really fortunate because the owner, this old school in the struggle Rasta from Trinidad, he saw some of my writing. He's like, this is good. And I told him, yeah, I'm trying to write a book. This is like kind of a fictionalized account of my life. So he's like, yeah, if you get it together, you have to self-publish it, but I'll let you put it under my imprint because he does a lot of reprints and a few original works. So I was like, really? Okay. So, um... It took me about a year and a half, but I got all my, my notes together, typed them up, edit, cut an editor, did some cover art for it, and he helped me publish my first book in 2008. And that was a big deal. I realized that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, sort of on the publishing tip, that I was really grateful to learn through that process. And I broke even on the book. Like I was able to sell enough to pay for it and hopefully get some more copies made eventually. The second book came out in 2011. I'm working on a third right now. It's going to be a trilogy. And then um, I want to get into more like nonfiction type stuff, research stuff. Everybody put three fingers in the air. The sky's falling. The wind is calling. Stand for something or die in the morning. Section 80, high power.
visions of Martin Luther staring at me Malcolm X put a hex on my future, someone catch me I'm falling victim to a revolutionary song The Serengeti's clone Back to put you back, stab us back on your spinal bone You slit your diss when I slit you my diss You wanted to diss but jumped on my dick Grown man never should bite they tongue unless you eating pussy that smell like it's a stale plum. I got my finger on the motherfucking pistol, aiming it at a pig. Charlotte's web is gonna miss you. My issue isn't televising. You ain't gotta tell the wise how to stay on beat because our life's an instrumental. This is physical and mental. I won't sugarcoat it. You'll die from diabetes if these other niggas wrote it. And everything on TV just a figment of imagination. I don't want a plastic nation. Dread that like a Haitian. Why you motherfuckers waiting? I'll be off the slave ship, building pyramids, writing my own hieroglyphs. Just call it shit high power. High power. That's the jam right there. That was the first time I heard Kendrick Lamar. And I'm a huge fan now. For me, it's a song that has commercial appeal, but he has so many little sort of nuances in there that are referring to these tremendous movements that have happened in the last half century that I don't hear anybody really talking about and especially not in in the way he talks about it because he doesn't sort of elevate it so far beyond our generation which happens a lot of the times I think where it becomes like this thing this event that's incapable of happening again or like our generation's not able to comprehend what that was like because we haven't had anything like that I feel like he does a good job of straddling sort of the idea that our generation is living through things that may be even grander than previous generations we just don't have that retrospect yet and still seeing the importance of standing on those ancestors shoulders he's, he's talking about Bobby Seale making meals and, and stuff like that where I'm not sure Bobby Seale's flattered or upset by that but that message is strong for a lot of the youth out here who want to change things but they don't want to be broke doing it it's not a this or that it's, it could be a both and it has that oh, I'm from the west with your three fingers in the air but it's still talking about like Fred Hampton it's talking about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and it's talking about Marcus Garvey I was on the freeway to Africa till I wrecked my Audi he's, he's doing it for the, the glamorous people he's doing it for the Pan-Africanists he's doing it for the street hustler at the corner store like there's so much that he can do with so few words who said a black man in Illuminati? Last time I checked, that was the biggest racist party. Last time I checked, we was racing with Marcus Garvey on the freeway to Africa till I wrecked my Audi. And I want everybody to view my autopsy so you can see exactly where the government has shot me. No conspiracy, my fate is inevitable. They play musical chairs once I'm on that pedestal. I think he's one of those sort of signposts in the road of hip-hop like it is changing the game is changing being that Kendrick is a little bit younger and from the west coast I think don't get me wrong like there's some serious lyricists out here but it's more about the cars the clothes the women kind of what he talks about on the recipe women weed and weather that's what Cali's known for but I feel like Kendrick Lamar for hip-hop as a whole He's sort of elevated what you can do with it. You can have a sing-songy hook and not sound super kind of drakey. And you can have this weird, you know, like nerdy almost persona and still be cool with the G's. He fills so many gaps, I feel, that are in hip-hop right now from like the hipster hoppers, kind of like Wiz Khalifa, 
to some of the more like purist people like Nas says in his new album my stuck in the 90s niggas and then some of the like the newer electronica kind of hip-hop which is emerging in a lot of popular music right now because if you listen to some of his beats it sounds very like trip hoppy or a lot of synths or electronica sounds get mixed in with the drums and the samples that I don't see anybody really touching them right now. I know this girl, she a real good girl. When she be low key, looking like a star with a real nice car. A Mercedes key, and she got a nigga, and she love this nigga. Well, at least I think every time we bark, she pays no mind. In the middle of the street, she be like, Fuck the mother I think that's really what hip hop needs is just to get the attention of the youth again. Because a lot of them are just, they'll find their artists out here, it's like Lil Boosie. Or Mr. Fab, or these certain artists where like that's all a kid will listen to. I don't want to hear anybody else. All, on my phone, it's all Lil Boosie, it's all Wayne. Like I don't want anything else. I mean, if you find somebody you like, I'm not gonna be mad at you, but I don't think you should alienate yourself from something else you might like. And I feel like Kendrick has the ability to just get your attention, whether you're into him or not. And I think that's a good thing. I know this girl, she a real hood girl And she with the shit, keep her hair tied up Big bamboos, Mike Jordan keeps with that big butt But when I try holla, she gon' resist And her man she trust. so when I walk by her She be screaming, then she be like So much like Chicago here though at times There's certain parts of West Oakland or East Oakland Where I feel like I'm in the South Loop Or maybe like over near Bronzeville or something Or, or even further south like between Stony and Cottage as you go down south. And the people seem super aware of what's going on in their city, which I think is so important. They're organized around their city more. I think I want to say Oakland is a sixth the size of Chicago, but proportionately the murder rate is higher. And it sucks because it's concentrated like in Oakland. You have San Leandro and Hayward on one side, you have Berkeley on the other side, and Richmond. It seems like Oakland always has the worst of it. I wasn't shocked when I got to Oakland, but after a while I was shocked just to see how consistently people sort of just chalk it up to, oh, it's Oakland. You know, like, oh, that's that's just what happens there. And it doesn't necessarily have to, and I see a lot of the people in the actual communities where the violence happened not being willing to tolerate it. Like, they're actually go to city council meetings they'll try and get little town hall meetings in their neighborhoods and i didn't really see that so much in chicago but just the willingness and the motivation for people who they know it's like hey i might be a retired grandmother but i still have some say in what goes on on my block for the city of, of the size of oakland i would say the way people come together if it did happen in chicago the machine downtown would be in big trouble. Uh, now this is how it is. We try to handle biz and make moves in this land where the power lives, where they devour kids and acts of cowardice rule from a tool of violence and a shrouded bliss. I try to release my malice and develop my inner peace in a place so callous. Maybe y'all go to Angola or the Gold Coast and blow smoke with the old folks because they know most. Capture the culture. I really see like a revitalization of the youth, even though the cars are so stacked against them. I mean, I'm relatively young myself. But when I see people in high school now, they are so aware that their life is going to be 10 times as hard as somebody maybe twice their age. 
and they're still going hard though that's the thing like the gun violence is what gets sort of highlighted most of the time because it is frequent but what's going on around that and in the midst of that and despite that is really motivating just seeing young people even though they may have gone to jail they still wanted to get their GED they still want to have some place where they can feel safe and talk to somebody and get the skills that they need to get a job because they're not just going to settle and they're willing to go out and tell their friends like yo there's a different way to do this and whether they lose their credibility in the street or whatever it's not so so much about that now like i feel like a lot of the youth in Oakland are willing to shatter the stereotype that you got to be a certain way to be accepted in your community and i feel like that if they could get the schools together which is a huge problem if they could sort of meet youth where they're at i feel like that the transformation that the panthers did in their era could happen again in a new the new format it might not necessarily be a racial thing or a neighborhood thing but i think the youth in Oakland have the potential and ability if given the opportunity to start one of those ripple effect things where a lot of the other youth in other towns and other cities say like we don't got to kill each other you know we can be computer programmers we don't got to be rappers we can do anything any other race is doing right now we just got to make that conscious decision as a community and it's it's happening here i just hope that it it's not out they don't pour water on that fire Because like jazz and the blues, it's one of the few completely original things to come out of the Western Hemisphere. It's transcended race, class, gender, and has become a medium of expression that can bring tremendous wealth, consciousness raising, as well as a vibe that just puts you in a place where you feel like you can do anything or anything can be done. Hip hop is important because it gives youth culture a chance when a lot of society tells youth that they're wrong or they're they're hypercritical of youth with no justification sometimes. Hip hop is important because it does that. It challenges a lot of the norms and opinions of society. And sometimes it doesn't do it in the most productive or constructive way, but it still creates dialogues and discussions. It creates a centerpiece that people that may be from different walks of life can uh, approach and, and have a good talk about. Whereas if it wasn't there, they may just pass each other by. Sort of like today. Like, I don't know if I'd ever have looked you guys up had hip hop not existed. You know what I mean?